1: I have had a lot of experts on the podcast and a lot of experts that's have done a lot of impressive things. But I got to say today is uh, is almost jumping the scale. I got uh, Barry M. Popkin. He has a PhD. He's a di- distinguished professor, but he is one of the most cited professors when it comes to nutrition. He has uh, published more than 615 reference journals. And there's more than 162,000 citations. I'm not sure whether there was like a few of them that's just been citated all the time. But it tells a little bit about the capacity that I managed to get on the podcast today. It's a guy that doesn't only read the headlines, but actually understand the deep stuff of why studies are hard and where you can actually get out of studies and what's going on with nutrition. So I'm extremely proud and happy to get Barry on the podcast today. Barry, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. So, you know a lot about nutrition and obesity. How did you get into it? Well,
0: it began actually when I lived in the squatter area in India and I got really interested in the human side, the education, the uh, health, all sorts of sides. And I went back to do my honors thesis after a year in India and I decided to get into the hillside. And I looked and found that the area that no economist had ever explored at that point was nutrition and the economics of nutrition. So I did my senior thesis on that. It was actually what I did almost the whole year and wrote essentially a small book that was published four or 500 copies internally by our office of economic opportunity, which was a big poverty program to distribute because a lot of it was the about the impacts. And at that point in history, our country had a lot of malnutrition, extreme malnutrition, not so different than you found in Africa and elsewhere over the last many decades. Mm. But and I got into it then. I went on to do my PhD after doing a number of things in between and subsequently moved from economics really into public health to me and joined a nutrition department and click room and swim and sink and swim in the area of nutrition so that I've learned to understand and deal with major issues within and, and continue to be very active in that world today.
1: Yeah. What are some of the things that are kind of misunderstood in this subject that we're hearing a lot about, but that you would wish you could help clarify a bit better?
0: Well, I think right now my focus is on intervention and making change in society. And I hate when countries adopt policies that have never been shown to make it. And and the the role of the food industry in impacting food related policies in our countries is significant, which is very much why Europe is adopting something they say to cut to get rid of the un, the most unhealthy ultra processed highly processed food that are high in added sugar, added sodium, and saturated fat, and refined carbohydrates, and just not good for them. And they have a significant role in our diets all across Europe and the U.S. and across the whole world today. In Europe, they're adopting policies the industry wants, like NutriScore, which has not been shown to impact purchasing, versus the warning labels from, that are adopted by a number of other countries in Latin America, Middle East, and soon Asia which show in real evaluations a significant change, both in reformulating, cut the unhealthy ingredients, but also in changing purchasing behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. And because of the, the food lobbies, we don't adopt many things we should to improve the health of our population. And essentially, nutrition-related diseases are cutting the lives and impacting the health of populations in every country in the world today, they're the leading cause of death in virtually every country today and the, and the increasing significantly in low and middle income, where they weren't as important as they are in Europe and the U S
1: and the other high income countries. Yeah. I think it's extremely fascinating where we see what's happening with fruit and nutrition and how like we're basically killing ourselves. That And I, the, the, the second thing would be, yes, we are
0: killing ourselves in part is this shift in the last three or four decades to consuming an excessive amount of highly processed, what we call ultra-processed products that are high in all these items and. Now have been shown to be a much larger risk factor than any one nutrient. It's these foods that are very high in consumption in Europe, particularly among children and young adults. And the older generation may eat the healthier way of the past, but increasingly our societies in the high-income world are fully dominated. In my country, in your country, much of the obesity Diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and cancer relate back to excess consumption of meat crop. Yeah. And it's ignored. Industry makes sure it really tries to focus on nutrients and say we can just shift nutrients and make food better. But they're still giving us all these foods with all these additives, flavors, smells, other things that really make us want to eat it. When you go out and get uh, a McDonald's or some other fast food or other highly processed foods, there's so many things added that weren't added decades ago that really make it seductive. When you go into the supermarket, except for going around the areas where there are vegetables and dairy and meats and fish and other things, most of the food is really unhealthy. Yep. Very highly processed.
1: And it's very hard as a consumer these days. Like if you turn around the label, there's so many names that you don't know. I was one to recommend right. it, that if your grandma or great-grandma would recognize this as food, eat it. If she wouldn't recognize and know what this is, um, stay away from it as a, like a That's simple right. rule to go along. One one person calls them food like that
0: the new foods, while they may have a lot of flour, they're just so refined and so full. And it's the additives that they put in, all of them. And you don't even know about nine-tenths of them because you see an ingredient on the label. But I know from the database we have, what's in each of these ingredients, that they're very complex. And in them are smells and flavors and all sorts of things that just make the products more seductive and more attractive and make us want to eat more of it. It's very hard when you start eating chips and not want to eat more because they're just flavored so well. Mm. Versus if you took a potato and just baked it without anything and just put a little salt on it, it would not taste, you wouldn't go after thousands of them. And this even goes to fruit juice. If you take a full two oranges, you're full. But if you drank a glass of fruit juice, a few hundred milliliters of it, you'd essentially wouldn't be full, but it, you'd be drinking five oranges and all the sugar in that. And
1: so many of our foods, that once we process them, become very unhealthy. That's what I'm hearing from most health experts as well, that is kind of like both of you saying we have a big food industry that's kind of pushing for different things, and it's a big industry. I heard many people talking about that the food industry might end up being looked at as a tobacco industry when we look 20 years ahead because we now see how many diseases are related to how that we manipulate the food and it's hard to actually figure out what's in the food.
0: But, But that's not true for basic dairy, basic foods we buy. What we're speaking about are the highly processed foods. When they take the milk and they start adding all sorts of flavors, colors, and other things to it, or they make it into yogurt and they start adding sugar and all sorts of other products to it. And so it's it's not the basic food. It's really these ones that get more processed.
1: Yeah. So some simple rules to live by. Because as a consumer, it can be hard to figure out, like, what should you eat, what should you not eat? And you see all these labels saying healthy, uh, vegan, and many other things that are trying to be labeled as healthy. What would you recommend people to do when they go out and they have to shop? Yeah, I recommend people, as much as they can afford to eat
0: real food, they should eat. And if they don't eat real food, they should take food that aren't processed very. Basic flours, wheat whole wheat, so good things, and and as much as they have time to cook. And if they don't, be very careful and selective on buying pre-cooked things that don't have a lot of ingredients in them, that are quite basic. Makes sense.
1: And if someone is considering, like, what's the definition of processed food? Well, it, the highly processed foods are
0: many of them are ready to eat or ready to heat. So, they're. it's all the snack foods and all the sugary beverages and all of that. Many of the flavored beers, all the flavored sugared waters that we have. And those, they don't just add sugar. They add a lot of other things with it to make them very attractive. So, to the extent you can deal with basic, minimally processed foods, you're better. And then of course, whether you pick the healthier version, let's say whole wheat versus white bread, again, it's up to the individual. And the more you pick the least milled of them and the most that have the basic ingredients, the healthier you are. So the more fruits and vegetables, basic fish, meat, poultry, uh, beans, legumes, we could eat the better. And legumes also to beans are one of the healthiest things we can eat. And they're not processed very much. Once you look for that, and the more you find it prepackaged, like you'll find in supermarkets today in Denmark, prepackaged foods from indonesia or made like indonesian basic food you'll find indian foods curries and other things dolls and stuff but you see the ingredients they have in them it's like the other junk food
1: the more you can avoid processing the better you are yeah would it be possible for a food manufacturer to kind of create something like a dal or something else that you can take home and and heat up and it's still being good. Of course, it's just like I buy a
0: kind of oatmeal, that's pre-cooked. So it's quicker to, to, to deal with, but it's a basic product. Mm. And so you can create dolls. You can put some simple gravies in them, or you can just create it, and pre-cook them. So it's very quick to cook. Yeah. You can do that with almost anything and it's happening. It's just a question of if demand is there. If, and the warning label is one of the ways that countries have gotten rid of the products. They will put warning labels on the most egregious of them. And it's shifted people to buy healthier products. And it's kind of one of the examples. Another round that countries would have banned markets. And Children and adults today, wherever you move, you see marketing. You go to a football event in, in Denmark, there's marketing of beer and sugary beverages and chips and crap all over, and that's what they sell. You go to schools, you see unhealthy products that kids shouldn't be given. The schools shouldn't be allowed to even sell or provide them with children. Yeah, but that's not what happens. The food lobbies get in every place. And the real issue is keeping industry out of decisions of government, which is not easy because of the money and the power they have. In your country, it may be certain industries. In the Netherlands, it may be Unilever and others, but they can play their healthy roles. They can all sell healthy products. like in Chile, when they instituted all these real serious policy, now we have a total ban market between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m., 11, 10 p.m., where you can't see anywhere, sporting events anywhere, any of this food with warning links, un- the most unhealthy product. And it really matters. It impacts and changes what children want. We have children coming both from school and our focus groups, low-income kids say, mom, don't give me any of those things with all black labels on. Give me other food, several kids, boys and girls. in our focus group asked the parents for salads for lunch. I mean, but not unheard it. of, unheard of in the world today. So the point is. We can have good regulations, or we can have bad regulations, but, and what we're getting in Europe and the US are bad regulations because
1: industry is driving them, it's yeah. yeah. not allowing others. Makes sense. And if there's no labels, Barry, I've been told that one thing to look out for is e-numbers, This is like you look at the label of pre-cooked food. And if there's a bunch of E numbers, at least what it's called in Denmark, like E something in the ingredients, is, not, is something to be considered about whether that might not be the best product. Because if you don't have the labels as you are advocating for, which I think is, would be fantastic if we have it because it's so hard for the consumer with these packaging. They try to make it look, they try to make it healthy, and they write like different things in the marketing. And,
0: and, and yes, people only spend seconds. Yeah. The average consumer in Europe and the U.S. spends 8 to 12 seconds picking the pack. They either know the brand and they just pick it, or there's only a very small subset. Look carefully at everything. So we need simple ways to tell people. And the Choices logo that they had in the Netherlands for a, a decade told people to eat healthier, but. Pr- Food among all the processed food, so it was an option. It doesn't have didn't have the same impact. You tell people with a warning label, just like we find for tobacco, when you put a warning label on tobacco products, it really started to change what people consume, and that's the same for food. Now, some of these ultra processed foods are almost as bad. But the problem is we need to eat, we need food, we don't need tobacco, no, at all. And a lot of this ultra-processed food, there's a lot, of, number of psychologists today who are finding that they maybe they fit what they call it. Now that's a complex to explain to people that some of your food products can be addictive, but. It's clearly the case for some of these highly processed foods that they show. In nature, you don't have a single food that has more sugar and fat or has salt in fat. And we've manufactured things that are completely different in the last few decades than we ever had. Now we added salt to some food and cooked it, but it wasn't basic in everything. And sugar we might have added to tea and coffee for from several centuries, but we never had sugar in our bread. We never had sugar in so many foods and beverages like we
1: do today. For the confused consumer, do you know of an app or something else? Because many countries don't put the labels on, right? So I'm thinking someone listening and going to the supermarket later today Is there an app where you can scan that tells something? Or what would you look for apart from saying like basic ingredients? There
0: are some apps like that, but I'm not the one to, I don't really know about them, so you'll have to find from other people about them. I'm sure among your listeners, they'll know of some, but I certainly don't. I I apologize because they're specific to each carton. So in Europe, there are apps like that, I know for sure to identify the open process,
1: food products, yeah. but I can't help you on. That. No, fully fair. Because I think there's many people, at least when I speak to people and also listeners, like people want to change, but especially if food has become so complex. Like mm-hmm. then you think you go ahead and go into the health department, but that health department is rubbish. Like when I hear most people that are into it, it's like stay away from everything in a package, basically buy real food, things that don't have a lot of plastic around right. them ideally. And that's kind of the way to be safe. But I wish there were right. more ways to consider because I know there's also companies marketing themselves on being like, hey, this is real food. We have something called Simply Feast in Denmark, for example. And right. they market themselves right. on not putting garbage in. The food doesn't last as long. It can only last for like a few days because they don't put as much. But it's super hard as a consumer to actually figure out because we don't have the government going in putting like, hey, this is rubbish. People are allowed to kind of promote it as healthy, right. despite it being rubbish.
0: Right. And one of the things is that all of these health foods, they, they may shift the sugar and use high food, high, some kind of fruit juice concentrate. So people think it's healthy, but it's no different. It's the same sugar. It just comes from fruit instead of from corn or sugar beets or sugar cane or whatever we grow. And. The industry has lots of ways to receive us, And our diet in 1960 and 50, people ate real food. What's happened since the 1970s with modern food science is that every food company today has use of all sorts of Ingredients that they can purchase that are very complex. The modern food science has changed the nature of our food so much that people can't truly understand. I grew, I'm seventy-seven, going on seventy-eight actually, and so I've been around to the time when I would go to grocery store to buy real food. And the only processed products breads and stuff like that, which were not so processed, then, they are today. And then I'd come back to the supermarket in the last several decades, and you don't find any, you only find in the U.S. around the aisles, they have. The vegetables, the produce, the fish, dairy, etc., and if you go into one island, find the beans and other things, and the pastas, you can find minimum process of all. And there are some benefits. Now we get pasta made with all sorts of garbanzo bean powders and flours and other things. So we get many kinds of healthier flours used for the pasta. So. There are some benefits, but the problem is once you start moving into these foods more and you buy the prepared and the ready to eat and the it and that's what's gone wrong. And then it's the same for you to go waiting. It used to be if you go to good restaurants you think you'll make real food. But if you go to most of our fast food, it's kind of more processed than people can imagine. And there's a lot added to it that's unhealthy. Sauces, cheeses, other things. They're not real cheeses like we think of them in Denmark or the U.S. They're kind of prepared, addictive kinds of things. So it's, it, it really takes a person to pay attention and want to spend the time. You can still cook once and make Meals for many times. I do that. I have a freezer and I freeze my products and then take them out so that, I, so it doesn't take me more time. My time isn't reheating something or thawing it out, but it's hard for people to people that know to do that. Hmm. I've come from a generation where I knew about pickling, freezing, doing lots of different things. A lot of our kids don't even know how to cook. It's amazing how many parents don't teach their children to cook. And that's one of the basics. England, for two years, when they instituted their feeding program before it shipped the government to the conservatives, they had for a number of years, for every sixth grade, boy and girl, a class in cooking. And they had kitchens in school. That was ended, the funding for all of that that's what we need all our children if they're not going to learn at home I-, I taught my son to cook everything uh, from complex dishes to other things when he was with me and so he's now cooking unlike a lot most of his friends who buy prepared food all the time i think it's a question parents could do and that would help as well and i hope every one of your listeners If, if and when they have children, I hope they'll do the same to learn to cook. And I'm sure the people listening to you are interested in health. So they're probably the ones more likely. And then, and it's important. This is the way we'll change generations. The average cooking and preparing food preparation time in my country, when we did a paper on it, was 27 minutes in a day. Ridiculous because it's all for the bulk of people, not the 5 or 10% that cook and do and and eat real food but the rest of the society.
1: Yeah. And it's probably moving more and more that direction. That's absolutely correct. What are other things that uh, we can actually do? So one thing is hopefully get governments involved in labeling like, hey, this is poisonous food. We can avoid when we go shopping, the things that are not real food, but actually buy real food. We can cook more, uh, we can make sure the new generation learns how to cook. And we really have to be careful about what we drink.
0: When you drink something, be it juice, be it water, be it milk or other things, it doesn't affect what you eat. We learned in the last several decades that when you... Comparing, for example, drinking milk versus eating cheese. The cheese fills you; the milk doesn't. People may think it does. Eating a smoothie may people think it may help you, but it doesn't. So, uh, what we learned is that drinking in any form, be it drinking some juice versus eating the fruit, we add. We don't. It doesn't fill us. The fruit juice. Then we eat more food. So when you drink calories, you're adding just extra calories every day to your diet. And if those calories are unhealthy, it's hurting you both ways. So drinking is a critical thing. Now, I'm not going to stop drinking wine. You may not stop drinking beer. It's a question of doing everything in moderation. And it's fine. Of course, if we're not active and we're couch potato, and I work out every day, so I keep very fit. Doing something every day to make sure I'm active and fit. If you walk every day, or run, or bike, or do all these things, you can be healthy. If you don't, or go to a gym or something, you're it's going to impact you, mm. and. We have increasing years of what we call disability years before we die. So disability-free years is going down on every European country. The obesity, all the other stuff, is making people less able to function as they get older. And often leading to early retirements and other things, but just changing. And if you went back 50 years ago, nobody in Denmark or in Scandinavia, let alone in Europe, didn't walk
1: or bite and lead a much healthier life and walk a lot. It's fun when a few times seen video from 20 years ago, or probably 25 years ago. And two things uh, stand out in that video. One thing everyone is smoking. Which is not good. The other thing, everyone is slim. There's no one in those videos that are obese. Everyone is slim. And almost like when you would look at people today, it's like, are you almost too slim? Because that was the norm. Right. No one was obese in those videos. Like, it's quite striking to see how like we were eating differently. We were moving more and so on. We didn't have bad food. Like when I grew up, we had one McDonald's got built in our town. And back then, that was like, wow, fast food, right? But that wasn't the start. And then we started getting more pizzerias and so on. But like, it just wasn't normal. So we would potentially get McDonald's once a month, so every second or third month, right? And that would be something very special. We didn't know back then they were so unhealthy, but it was very different than eating it often, right? Because Right. And if you went to France
0: 20 or 30 years ago, you went to see heavy French people. Today, France is moving toward over 50% of the population, obese and obese. So the remarkable shifts that we've seen in Europe have come later. The United Kingdom, the U S and Australia were all getting fat earlier, but Europe, it took a while. And everybody then started to talk about it as being just Spain and Portugal and Greece and Italy. But the reality of Germany and France, Scandinavia has been protected more because you have an active lifestyle culture. But even there, it's changing. Mm-hmm. We
1: now see obesity levels going up in countries like Sweden, Norway, and mm-hmm. Finland. Yeah, and it's basically going up the last two years because people have not been out, been active, and so on. so. saw right. an article today about how young people had gained so much more weight than normally and how, also when we look at, like, how sick do you get from something like COVID or any kind of infection, right? We see there's a high um, correlation in regards to how people get sick, right?
0: Yeah. So, over, what we know, I did studies for the World Bank that showed at that point that all stages of getting COVID were enhanced by being but then a study came out from a foreign student of mine at Oxford, where she showed they showed with four million Brits that even being slightly over, moving from a BMI of twenty four to twenty five to twenty six, kept increasing the risk of getting COVID, kept increasing the risk of being hospitalized kept increasing the risk of dying. So, the fact is that not only does that extra affect us with all the NCDs, but it increases our risks of COVID much greater and increases the severity of the COVID once we get it, which is really the problem. Your country and all the countries in Europe are being hit with Omicron. We're getting starting to get hit fine. Within weeks, we'll, it'll be in every place in our country. It's already over half the cases in, my, in our country. It's We're going to see this again. That the least healthy are going to be predominantly overweight in these people. And the ones who die are going to be in that category. It's very sad individuals with obesity and even overweight status really are at great risk mm-hmm. and need to be that much more careful, but they're not.
1: And uh, So I've been very puzzled why we don't get more of this information out, right? Like, I haven't seen any of the news really come out saying, like, hey, how do we lose weight? How do we get more D-vitamin? Hey, how do we eat real food and so on? So once we get a virus, no matter what virus, these are all the things that can protect us because this will come like it's been coming the last many years. One of the complexities is overweight obesity is not attractive.
0: No. We know it's caused by our horrendous environments that make food on the present income and, um, and constantly are telling, bombarding us with ads and pictures. And it will all be a bug. We may look at baked cooking shows as entertainment, but we don't try anything. And so it's it's it is a very difficult. And it's difficult to talk about this. But it can be talked about in then it's our society. And that obesogenic society is really caused by the marketing, the and all the other kind of placements. Uh schools throughout Europe a couple decades ago were full of advertisements from Coke and Pepsi in their machines. And some countries have gotten rid of them and most haven't. And in schools, school meals often use the ultra-processed foods. They should be using real food. The caterers that come in and serve these in all the European schools are not doing a disservice. They should be required to Create, cook some real food. It may cost slightly more, but it's the only way to keep our kids healthy. Mm. And to educate them on what foods they should like and not like. So, the, this is the, we're run by the food industry and we're, as we're run by other industries in other sectors. And it's not going to take, it's not going to be easy to just tell the government to do grant because they get influenced by the It needs people going out and advocacy groups pushing hard and people joining and fighting. It, it doesn't happen quickly. Politicians
1: don't do this unless they're under pressure. We see the same in Denmark. Like just from the local perspective, I know with diabetes as well, like it's been taking ages for the dailies. Diabetes Union or the government to change their recommendations. There's an interview with this senior scientist from Novo Nordisk. Novo Nordisk is one of the diabetes companies. And she was a senior scientist there earlier and she was so proud of her work because she was helping people with diabetes. But she was like, hey, there's a conversation we're not having. We're not having the conversation about how we can get people off diabetes too, how we can change so much with food. And, uh, and it's, it's, she was not... Not in the fight, you could say, but like trying to get the diabetes unions and so on to change the recommendations with the new science that could actually, like, what can we do about diabetes? How can we reverse it with food and fasting and exercise and how we can see we can get people out of the medicine for a while. Right. We also, okay. we are a pharma country. We, Denmark has amazing pharma companies that have changed life, But that also means there's a natural and uh, bigger lobby for influencing the recommendations.
0: That's correct. And your ministries of agriculture generally are now serving the food, the, the, the processed food sector as well as the farmers. And both of them are very influenced by selling their, but they can sit, the farmers make basic foods. Their food is healthy. It may be full of pesticides and other things you want to get rid of. But the reality is aside from that, from all the, whether it's organic or in, not, it's really the food manufacturers that change the game. And it's really governing them and changing the man by making their products more expensive and making the healthier products cheaper. It's kind of like your fad tax. that They disappear on, on a few products. I mean small tax, small number of products, but you know, if you do that, all the, all the products high in sugar, or if you do it, it would, it would mean a significant impact. The British and the South African taxes on the sugar content of beverages really changed the beverages. So many beverages reformulated to get rid of all the sugar and so many of them, and people move toward waters of all sorts and other healthier beverages, it can work. It does work. We've shown it works. But the reality is to get that done in most of Europe is impossible. The food industry is just that powerful. And of course, our governments have other problems. But if this is in where the Minister of Health needs to to come out for healthy foods and healthy lifestyles and they can't do it unless you get the ministries of finance and others on their side and that and the poor health is one of the things that we need to realize is that the cost in treating all of these diseases is found in our health system now why the national health service in england is going bankrupt because england Is the fattest country in the continent, in the region. England has such a high diabetes, heart disease, cancer level, and those diseases are very expensive. That's why the NHS is one of the biggest supporters for trying to do things in England, put in the warning label, put in taxes on certain products, because they need to change what people eat. It's not simple. But some of these things increasing the price, some of these things getting rid of the marketing. Forge Johnson, after he went in and got COVID, he realized his obesity made him much thicker. So he allowed them to do things like they're going to the institute a ban on marketing from 6, 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. They're going to do other things. And... They consider the warning label, but the industry pressures them not to use it. I don't think they'll institute it, even though the ministry wanted it, but the ministry didn't. And so, these kinds of issues aren't going to go away.
1: No. So, Barry, so I I have ten more minutes. Yes. have to wait for another. Yeah, that's for the fact. It's super fascinating to hear, like, how we can have these things coming from the government that can actually change and how we can become more aware of real food. You said you were 78 or 77. You still look very fresh, very young. And I've had a few uh, people on as well that look into longevity and how we can live to potentially 110 healthy with the newest interventions. And if we live healthy, what are some of the things you have done to still be, uh, yeah, feeling as good as you're doing today? Obviously I bike to
0: work until the last five braid here kind of heaven. So I live on a really steep hill, so I'd stop biking to work, put a bike around everywhere else. And and just being fit, doing continuing to be active at all ages, but starting as young as you can and continuing to follow some kind of way to get movement and exercise and the more This can be weight-bearing or aerobic, the better you are. Go to a gym, do it, or do it at home with cables and bands and other things. And, and eat, right. I didn't know as much as I do today, 40 years ago, but I've certainly learned. And now I, we eat real food. That's it. Some of it may be pre-cooked like my oatmeal in the morning but the rest of it isn't, and just real food, and that's all, and only on special occasion we'll go have a pizza, but my son will make a pizza for us, and they're much healthier pizza that we get today, and we get the thin crust, and we get European pizza, not Italian style, thin crusted pizza, not the American dollar and stuff, which is, 1,000-calorie repeats versus uh, 20 or 50 calories. So it's all the question of what you eat and how you move. Yeah. And I smoked when I was young. I stopped. And so clearly that's important too because it's hard to be fit if you're smoking uh, a lot. But again, you can be fit and smoke if you really exercise and, and pay attention to your weight. So I, it all depends on the person. I recommend the healthiest lifestyle possible, and eat real food, and eat real food, and much as you can plant, like plant foods, and instead of animal-based foods. So I follow pretty much all of that. I certainly grew up in Wisconsin, so I grew up in a dairy country, and eat, drink my milk, and have my milk canner. Foods. I can't live without some things because I grew up in the with milk every day in my life. But moderation
1: is really important. Yeah. so what's one advice you would give to yourself um, 30 years ago? 30 years ago, I would have pushed more on planetary health. I've learned about
0: all of this, but the world wasn't ready. 30 years ago, I was talking about how the world was becoming fat, how our diets were changing and moving to unhealthy eating, and showed it not only in low income, but high income countries, and showed how rapidly it was starting to change in low and middle income countries. And, but I did rethink as much about the planetary side as I should have, and moving away from animal especially beef and lion products that essentially are the worst for our planet and I know today more about diet planetary health than I did before and I wish I had known before and could have pushed that a lot more around the world because a lot of the regulations that have happened I had a major role in getting going and pushing people on them, be it in Mexico with the sugar beverage tanks or South Africa helping them or Chile and Peru and other countries helping with the regulations that we've done, fighting a big battle now to get morning levels in India and It look like we win. I didn't know all that early, and I didn't know that these same things would help the planet's health and that I needed to keep supporting that part of it as well. So I, I talk, and and myself, I eat very little red meat. I eat, I love lamb, I love beef, and grew up with all of that, but I eat very minimal. And I really move to fish and animal products as much as I can, and plant products that eat from red meat. poultry. I eat a lot of poultries, but I certainly do not eat anything else so i'm not a vegan or a vegetarian but i lived as a vegetarian for 16 years my partner before she died and so i eat half of my
1: time It looks like a vegetarian and some meals i hope Mm -hmm. thank you barry thank you so much for all of your work influencing uh, countries around the world to live healthier if people want to learn out more about you and your work, what's the business? to move? They can go into the global food research program and see what we're
0: doing today around mm-hmm. the world, the countries we're working with and what's going on. Fantastic. And our evaluations. Thank you. Have a good day.